Today, I want us to see that if you are in Christ, God is going to glorify you. If you are in Christ, God is going to glorify you. Now, I'm grateful no one has thrown anything at me just for thinking that or saying that. Because it seems a little backwards, doesn't it? That God would glorify us. Aren't we not supposed to have any glory for ourselves? Well, generally speaking, that is true. Generally speaking, that is true. But in the Bible, we see God pouring out His glory on His people. And He's doing that now in an ongoing, progressive, gradual sort of way. But there will come a point where he completes that work of making us glorious. Now, why am I preaching on this? Well, in Romans 8, 29 and 30, we see this unbreakable chain of God working in us. See, you getting saved, you becoming a Christian isn't just something that starts and ends the moment of your conversion. But you becoming a Christian was actually began in eternity past and it will be complete when Christ returns. And so you are saved now, but you aren't fully and completely saved. And an easy practical example of that is that we still struggle with sin, don't we? So there's sin that still dwells and resides in us. And so God has made us new But we're not completely made new yet. Our salvation is secure, but God is still saving us. So in Romans 8, 29 and 30, we have it said that God foreknew us. And then he predestines us to be conformed to the image of his son. And then he calls us. It's an internal call. It's more than just a general call or invitation to the masses. But it's a specific call to individuals, to his elect, to come to him. And then Christ justifies us. He doesn't just forgive us of our sin, but he makes us righteous. He doesn't just leave us neutral and give us a clean slate to start from. And and, and then for us to have the opportunity to live a good life. No, he gives us the very perfection of his son. And then the fifth thing in this unbreakable chain in Romans 8, 29 and 30 is that God glorifies us. He makes us glorious. Now we've already seen in Romans 8.17 that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if we suffer with Him. And our suffering is for the purpose that we also may be glorified with Him. And then in Romans 8.18... It says that the sufferings of this present time are nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Y'all think God's awesome now. Just wait. You got two pieces of the 10,000 piece puzzle. You've got two pieces of the 10,000 piece puzzle. Jen, your pizza... Breakfast pizza that you made was good. I got the last piece. I got a little bit of the glory of that pizza. 
but there was a whole lot that I didn't get. You think God's awesome now. You just wait till you see him in his full glory. So we go to John 17 today. Why do we go to John 17? I want us to go to John 17 because in this we see an exchange of glory or a transfer of glory from one party to another. And we see it several times. So John 17 is the end of a really long prayer that Jesus prayed just moments before he was arrested the day before he was crucified. John 17 is a long prayer that Jesus prayed right before he was arrested, the night before he was crucified. And in the portion of the prayer that we're going to read, he's praying for his followers that would come in the generations after his disciples. He had already prayed for himself, and then he prayed for his 11 disciples. Judas had already become a traitor by this point. And then in this last part of the prayer, he's praying for me and you. And as he prays, as you read, as you meditate, as you study, as you um, discuss this passage today in the next few minutes, I want you to think about glory and how glory is transferred from one party to another. And keep in mind when you do this, I'm asking you to think about something that is infinite and eternal. I'm asking you to think about something that is so wonderful that you can't behold it fully in this life. So I'm asking you to contemplate a mystery. So let's do that. Mysteries may make you uncomfortable, and if so, that's an appropriate response. We are limited, finite creatures, and there is no end to the infinite, extreme, glorious, intense majesty and glory of God. So with that being said, I'm going to read John 17, beginning in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So, a bit of a tricky passage. Just remember, he's praying to his Father in heaven. And if you keep that in mind, it'll make more sense. And remember that he's praying for us and for our brothers and sisters throughout the ages all around the world. So take a few minutes and uh, look at it yourself for a little bit. And when the time's right, your table leader will begin the discussion.
All right, Hope Fellowship. God is going to make us glorious. Can y'all say that with me? God is going to make us glorious. Turn to Exodus chapter 33, if you would. Exodus 33. We're going to look quickly at three Old Testament passages. This is one of those sermons where some verses I'm going to ask you to flip there and take a look at, and I'm going to give you a little bit of time to get there. But then there's going to be a lot of other verses I'm just going to say. I wish we had slideshow, uh, maybe one day. Um, but yeah, so there'll be a lot of verses that I'll be sharing today that you probably won't have the opportunity to uh, turn to, but if you want to write them down and look at them later, uh, that's a great way to do it. So Exodus 33, verse 18. Exodus 33, verse 18. So if you've been in church for long or you're familiar with the Bible, you know the story of the Exodus. God's people were in slavery. God raised up Moses. He wanted his people to leave Egypt and go to the promised land. So this is after they went through the Red Sea, after they left Egypt, and they're headed in the right direction. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. God is giving him the Ten Commandments and the Old Covenant. And while he's gone, everybody else makes a golden calf and bows down and worships the golden calf in violation of the First and Second Commandment that God had just given to them. God was done with them. He was ready to destroy them. God sent Moses back down the mountain and he says, your people, God says to Moses, your people are, there's, there's a ruckus going on down there and you better get down there. So Moses goes down there, there's judgment, there's a plague, there's fighting, there's a lot of people that die as a result of their sin. And Moses is praying. Moses is crying out to God. He'd just been up on top of that mountain with the great thunder and the lightning and the glory of God. Just an intense encounter with God. Probably one of the most intense encounters with God that man has ever had in this life. And he comes down and sees the chaos and judgment comes and he starts praying and praying and crying out to God. And in Exodus chapter 33 verse 18... He says this to God. I dare you to pray this, church. I dare you to pray this. He says in verse 18, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. I dare you to pray that. I'd really love it if you would. Let's do it later. How about that? Show me your glory, he says to God. Verse 19, here's how God responds to that prayer. God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is his goodness. And and, and God says to Moses, all of it's going to go by you. And then he goes on to say, I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. You see that L-O-R-D in all capital letters? That's Yahweh. That is the name of God. He goes on to say in verse 19, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Here we see the sovereign, electing love of God upon sinners. That love of God, that sovereignty of God, is His glory, and He's going to walk right by Moses. 
Verse 20, God says to Moses, But you can't see my face. I'll show you part of myself, but you can't see my face, Moses. You can't do it. He goes on to say, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. See the intense, extreme, infinite glory of God is too great for us to handle in this life in these broken bodies. Certain death will come upon us if we see something so glorious. You know, our bodies just have limits, right? You know, if you're in a fire for too long, you're going to die. Your body is limited. There's just certain things that we cannot withstand and walk through and live in this life. And the glory of God is the greatest, most intense encounter that someone can ever have with anything. So, Exodus 33.20, God says, You cannot see my face and live, for man shall not see me and live. God goes on to tell Moses, Behold, there's a place by me, where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So he puts them in this little nook and cranny of the mountain that he's in. And God puts his hand up. See, God says, you can see my hand. But you can't look right here, God is saying. So God's walking by. He, he covers the crack where Moses is. Moses gets to see just a tiny bit of the glory of the Lord. And God passes by and he removes his hand. And then Moses gets to see God as he's walking away. That's intense, y'all. All right, turn to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. Verse 34. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. So a large portion of the second half of the book of Exodus, God is telling them to build a tabernacle. The tabernacle, it was a place where God dwelled uh, before they built the giant temple in Jerusalem. So the tabernacle is the place that God dwelled, that God commanded them to build in the second half of the book of Exodus. He commanded them exactly how to arrange it and all this stuff. And then God says, if you build this, I'm going to dwell there like he did in Solomon's temple and later on in the Old Testament. And the cool thing about the tabernacle was, you know, they're on a trip, right? They're on a journey, so it's not really a good time to build a temple. But they could take this whole tabernacle down. Tabernacle meant tent. They can take this elaborate, incredible tent down, and they can march for a few days and then set it back up and worship God where they are. So this passage, Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, is what happens... After they finished building the tent, and it was a big project, and, and, and they set it up. And look at what happens in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, what's the deal with the cloud? At this time in their history, God would appear to them as a thick cloud in the daytime. And at nighttime, he would have the appearance of a great fire. So they could always see where God was. Well, they built this tabernacle. They built this tent. And the cloud came, covered the tent, 
And what filled the tabernacle? The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So verse 35, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The infinite, extreme intensity of the majesty and the glory of God was upon them. And they could not go into it. All right, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. So, a little bit further on in the Old Testament, you'll get to Samuel, you'll get to Kings, and then you'll get to Chronicles. You'll get to Samuel, you'll get to Kings, and then you get to Chronicles. If you get to Job and Psalms and Proverbs, you've gone too far. So, there's Samuel, there's Kings, and we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. Page 400. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. Now, by this point, the temple has been built. They're in Jerusalem. This is many generations after Moses, several hundred years. King Solomon finishes building the temple. And there was a very similar event that took place here as what took place with the tabernacle. So 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. The priests were supposed to go in there and do their work. They couldn't do it. Because of the infinite glory of God, the eternal glory of God, the majestic glory of God, the intense glory of God. He was so great, they could not go in where he was. So verse 2, the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people, verse 3, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down, And the glory of the Lord on the temple. They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. He is good, his steadfast love endures forever. They saw the glory and they worshiped. They worshiped. You know, we know stories of kings, you know, throughout history, you know. You couldn't just approach your king in most nations throughout history. You had to be summoned by your king, and very few people got to be in the presence of their king. There's an analogy, there's a metaphor here with our king who is in heaven. He comes to us, he welcomes us into his family, he makes us royalty himself. But in these days... When he was revealing himself to them, Christ had not come yet. And so he would show himself to them, but they could only be so close because of the greatness and the intensity of his majesty. So they saw his glory and they worshiped God. Church, how do we respond to the glory of God? How do we respond when God teaches us and shows us something about himself? Y'all, we worship and we proclaim the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. 
Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He says that God dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen Him or can see Him. He dwells in unapproachable light. So these are three encounters that people had with the glory of God in the Old Testament. And they could not see the glory of God. Y'all, we should be very afraid. We should be very afraid. For God is a consuming fire. Now consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider His birth. His life, His death, His resurrection, and His ministry. A verse that we reflect on often at Christmas time is John 1.14. It says, Jesus, or the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what did the Apostle John have to say about Jesus? We saw God's glory with Jesus. It was, Jesus was not the full revealing of His glory, but it was a partial revealing. Honestly, it was a greater revealing than anything that had ever taken place up to this point throughout history, most likely. I mean, I feel pretty safe saying that. So we saw His glory. What kind of glory was it? It was the glory of the only Son from the Father, sent directly from God, being the Son of God, being God incarnate, being God in the flesh, He was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth that we all long for, unlike the world had ever seen up until that time. You all, Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. I want you to know that today. He is full of glory, yes, but He is full of grace and truth. And we need Him desperately, do we not? Consider the birth of Christ. Luke chapter 2. The shepherds are in the field watching over their flock by night. The angels show up, or the, the angel of the Lord appeared. He had an announcement to make in the, to the shepherds. And when he appeared, it says the glory of the Lord shone around him. And the shepherds were filled with great fear. That's an appropriate response to the glory of God. Kids, and, and well, adults too, think back to when you were a kid. And hopefully you don't have this experience as an adult. But... We've all had that experience at some point in our life where we were doing something we shouldn't have done and all of a sudden an authority figure shows up and we are afraid. Right? Because we know we're caught. Imagine. You know how uncomfortable that is? Imagine that uncomfortable feeling times 100,000. And that's what it's going to be like for every sinner who sees God when God comes to them. Whether that's God calling them home or whether that's Jesus coming back on the clouds with the trumpet call of God. You know what it's like to get caught. You're like me. You're a sinner. You've done things you shouldn't have done. And you're also like me. You weren't smooth enough to get away with it all the time, were you? And sometimes you got caught. And that feeling. Could you imagine? These angels, they saw the glory of God. They were afraid. They knew they were unclean men, just like Isaiah did when he saw the glory of God. So this angel announced to them, there's good news of great joy. A Savior has born. This announcement is accompanied with glory. And then suddenly there was this big choir of angels singing in the fields with the sheep. 
and the shepherds. And what were those angels saying that night that Christ was born? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the shepherds went. They found Mary. They found Joseph. They found baby Jesus. And then after they visited with him for a while, they returned to the fields and they were glorifying and praising God. See, the shepherds saw glory from God when the angel appeared. Then they went and saw the Christ child. So they saw him who was full. They saw his glory there, him who was full of grace and truth. And then they left. And what were they doing? There was a transfer of glory from them. They had an encounter with glory. And then they poured out glory to God, praising His name. See, to glorify something, to glorify someone, means there's a transfer of glory from one party to another. That's important. To glorify means that glory is moving from one party, from one person, or from God, to another person. To glorify by definition, has to do with the transfer or exchange of glory from one to another. Most of the time in the Bible, this means people are glorifying God. But we will see in a little bit that God will pour out glory on us at our glorification. So, do you remember Jesus' first miracle? He was at the wedding. Huge, wonderful party. They ran out of wine. Jesus turned water into wine. And in John 2.11, it says that he manifested his glory in that miracle. And that was just one miracle of hundreds, if not thousands of miracles. His infinite, extreme, intense glory was revealed in his miracles. Do you remember Lazarus? This was closer to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Lazarus was a dear friend. Jesus received word that Lazarus was very sick. And they were calling for him to go and help. But he didn't want to go yet. He didn't want to go. He delayed. And Jesus said, before Lazarus died, and he did die, but Jesus said... This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus said to the people who came, Lazarus' illness does not lead to death, but it is for the glory of God, so that I may be glorified through it. Now, if we go to John chapter 17, and turn there if you would. Page 1001, where we were at earlier. John 17. This is the prayer of Jesus we just spent time discussing. Look at verse 1. John 17, verse 1. Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. So the hour has come. He's talking about the hour of his death on the cross has come. And he prays that God would glorify him for the purpose of Jesus, the Son of God, glorifying the Father. Look at John 17, verse 4. 
He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. You all, this is how we're supposed to live too. We can glorify our God in heaven by accomplishing the work he gives us to do. Every one of you got something to do. Amen? Amen. Don't do your own thing. Do his thing and glorify him. That's what you got to do. You understand? And until you begin to do that, your life is going to be a wreck. So be about his business. So verse 4, how did Jesus glorify God? How, did, how was glory transferred or exchanged between the Son to the Father? It was because the Son did his Father's business. Look at verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Y'all, before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was with the Father in the fullness of his glory. And in verse 5 right here, he's saying he wants that glory restored. See, Jesus knows he's going to be back to be with God. And he knows that his glory is there. Look at verse 22 of John 17. John 17, 22. In this verse, one that we discussed, Jesus is praying for our glorification. He is praying that God would pour out glory on all of us. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Church, Jesus is praying for our glorification here. In verse 22, glory came from God to Jesus. And then glory comes from Jesus to us. And this is for the purpose of our unity. So that we will be one as God is one. Look at verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus has Jesus, I mean, he's praying for the people that aren't born yet. He's praying for me and you. And he's saying, I want them to come and see me in all my glory. I want all of my people to see all of me, not just some of me, but all of me. So, moving on from John 17, we have a partial glimpse of the infinite, intense glory of God in Jesus' death and also in his resurrection. Many verses speaking of his death being a glorious event and of his resurrection being a glorious event. And after he rose again, about 40 days later, he ascended. He just left the earth and went straight into the heavens. He levitated. He was taken up by God Straight into the heavens. And he sits at the right hand of God there now in glory. Church, I want to tell you that there is a day yet to come when God will complete his work of making us glorious. There is a day yet to come. Like we've seen so much glory just in 20 or 30 minutes of looking at these passages, right? 
There is a day coming when God will complete His work of making us glorious. Just think about your life. Jesus has changed some things. He's cleaned you up a bit, hasn't He? You're a bit more glorious than you were when He met you, right? (laughs) Y'all, I mean, that's just one piece of the breakfast pizza. You know what I'm saying? There is so much more to enjoy. There is so much more to come. All right. I do have to ask this, though. In Romans 8.30, when it says, Those he justify, he has also glorified. That's in the past tense in Romans 8.30. But it hasn't happened yet. So why does Paul use the past tense when he says that he glorified us? He isn't saying that God has already done it. But he is saying that God is so faithful and His promise and His covenant are so trustworthy that it is guaranteed that all of those that He foreknew, that He predestined, that He called, that He justified will be glorified. You all, And we're going to see this next week. God loses none of His elect. Everyone that God calls to Himself will believe. See, some people think, well, if you believe in election, then, you know, what if someone runs away from God? Well, a proper understanding of God's election is that He always pushed that, that, that person who is chosen for faith, that person who believes, always perseveres until the end. And that's, those are sermons for another time. But it's, it's true. It's what the Bible teaches. See, this is past tense. Those whom He justified, He also glorified because it's guaranteed God doesn't lose anybody. It's not like those he called, some of them he justified. Those he predestined, most of them he called. And, but he lost a few between the calling and the justification. And then after some were justified, he lost even some more. No, he doesn't lose anybody. Everyone who starts finishes. It is a guarantee. All right, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Turn there if you'd like. One verse. 13, 12. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. This is all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. All about the second coming of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 13, 12. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. All right, that's right now, okay? We see in the mirror dimly. We're looking in a mirror. The lights are kind of dim. You can't really see things very clearly. But then, face to face. Now, what did God say earlier about seeing him face to face? You can't do it. You can't do it. But when he comes back, it's going to be a full revealing, a full revelation Everything of God's is going to be gloriously dumped on you, okay? It's going to, dumped is not a good word, probably. I I, I would say poured out is a better way to say it. Revealed. Everything. All of the infinite, eternal ways of God will be revealed to you. So 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... 
aren't you tired of knowing in part? Like the part we got is great. But don't you want to see it all? That day is going to come. God is going to pour his glory out on us. So now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See, God has always fully known us, but we do not fully know him. But there will come a day when all is revealed and poured out on us. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Colossians is just a little bit after Corinthians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the Bible says, when the Lord descends from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, the sound of a trumpet. It says the dead in Christ will rise first and then we're going to be caught up together with him. It's about the resurrection. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to get our new body. And we're going to appear with him in glory. God is going to glorify his church. God is going to glorify poor, old, pathetic, insignificant us. How awesome is our God that he would do that for us. Hallelujah. So I believe at this time, you you know, Christ, who is our life, is going to appear. We're going to appear with him in glory. What's going to happen to those that have rejected Christ? What's going to happen to the unconverted? I had this thought just this morning early when I was looking over all of this. I had this thought. If Moses couldn't see God face to face, and if people would be crushed by the intense and infinite majesty and glory of God, then... then What's going to happen to those who haven't believed in Christ, who aren't ready for Him when He comes back? They're going to be crushed by the glory of His presence, His very holiness that causes us to not be able to look like they're not going to be able to get away from Him. If you don't know Christ, if you're playing around with God, if you're acting like he's just one of a few different gods that you get to choose from, if that's what you're doing with God, you're going to see him. He's going to show up and you're going to be crushed in judgment by him. You aren't ready for his glory. You aren't, you can't, Face his holiness and stand. But if you're saved, then you have the righteousness of Jesus, and God knows that you're his, and you're going to see him, and you're going to be so happy if you know him. But if you don't know him and he appears, you are not ready to face him. 
you are not ready to face him. All right, final verse. Turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John is after Philippians, after Thessalonians, after Timothy, before Hebrews. I'm sorry, after Hebrews, after Hebrews, before Revelation. Near the back of the book. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. First John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Y'all, God's going to make you glorious. Isn't He glorious? Amen. We're going to be like Him. I can't wait. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. So we shall be made like him because we shall see him as he is. See, you've seen Jesus in a partial way. And he has made you like him in a partial way. It's an ongoing and progressive work that he's doing as he sanctifies us between our conversion and our death. And that partial ongoing work is wonderful, isn't it? Amen. Absolutely wonderful that God would be dealing with us day in and day out. But oh my. 1 John 3 2. When he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now let me ask you this, people, everybody. Have you submitted yourself to this majesty of God? He's coming back and you ain't stopping. Have you submitted yourself to this God of infinite glory? I plead with you. If Christ is not your master. If Jesus is not your Lord. I plead with you to come. You have done nothing. That he can't forgive. You have done nothing that he cannot wash away. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And he says, I will give you rest. He will take the despair from you and turn it into beauty and glory. If you are not grabbing hold of Christ, I ask you, what are you holding on to and what benefit does that thing offer you? If you are not holding on to Christ, I ask you, what are you holding on to and what benefit does it offer you? Does talk of this majesty and this glory make you uncomfortable? Does it make you cringe? Does thoughts of him appearing or you dying unexpectedly in meeting him, does this cause you to cringe? Repent. 
If this is where you find yourself, as you've heard me speak of the glory of God this morning, if you don't want to have anything to do with it, repent. Turn to God. Stop serving your pathetic little idols who leave your soul empty when you're done worshiping them and run to the Almighty God who loves you and will receive you as you are. Run to the One who knows you better than you know yourself. If this glory that I speak of today is not your greatest hope, would you please come to Jesus? Do not let another hour pass, but come to Jesus Put your faith in Him, in His perfect life, in His death on that cross, and in His resurrection. Grab hold of His promise that He will make you new, and He receives everyone who comes. It is not too late for anyone to come, but there will be a day when it is too late for you, and you don't know when that's going to come. Do not refuse this offer of forgiveness and salvation. But run to God and He will take you as you are. And He will transform you. And He will make you glorious. Everybody say it with me. God is going to make me glorious. God is going to make me glorious. Let's pray.